Hi, this is Edwin Crozier of the Franklin Church of Christ. Thank you for joining us as we open God's Word and learn more about being His children. Paul said he was a flesh sold into bondage to sin. How are we supposed to overcome that? Sadly, there have been two ways that folks have often tried to claim we can overcome sin, but they don't work. Let's examine what Paul said in Romans 6, 7, and 8 and see how we can really overwhelmingly conquer. I am a flesh, sold into bondage to sin. Romans chapter 7 and verse 14. And yet, I desire to overwhelmingly conquer. I desire to serve and glorify God. I desire to overcome sin. What's a guy like me supposed to do? As we read earlier, Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 points out that the Gospel is the power of God for salvation. And we've had that message here in the world for nearly 2,000 years. And yet, since that Gospel has been established in Jesus Christ, There have been those who, whether on purpose or inadvertently, have twisted it and taken away its power. In fact, for those 2,000 years, I believe that there have been two competing extremes that have vehemently argued back and forth with one another about how we are saved by the Gospel. And because of that war that's being waged back and forth, God's straight and narrow middle road has been lost. In far too many cases, we need to remember the Gospel is God's power to save. Now, I'd like for us this morning to take a look at the two fallacies that have governed the religious world throughout the ages. And then take a look at exactly what God has promised about how the Gospel is His power to save. Before we do that, would you please bow with me? Almighty Father in heaven, we are amazed at your mercy and your grace. And we pray that you would be our strength and our shield and our deliverer. Help turn us away from temptation. Help us to walk in your path. Father, we pray that you would forgive us for the times that we have turned to the path of wickedness. And we pray that you would strengthen us to overwhelmingly conquer through your Son. Father, we love you and we're so thankful that you have loved us. And we pray that you be with us this morning, that everything we study will be simply what you have revealed in your Word. And that it will help us and strengthen us that we might overwhelmingly conquer the enemy and and temptation and sin. Through your Son who died for us, we pray. Amen. As we consider how to conquer, the first fallacy that has prevailed is what I want to call the Pharisee's failure. In Romans chapter 7, beginning at verse 14, I believe Paul provides for us, as we studied last week, his attempts to conquer sin prior to coming to Christ. And as we take a look at Paul's attempts to overcome sin, to overwhelmingly conquer the tempter, we find in his life the best that the Pharisees had to offer. Remember what it said, hold your finger there in Romans 7, and remember what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3? In Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 4, about halfway through verse 4, he said, If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. 
circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. When we look at how Paul tried to overcome sin before coming to Christ, we find the best that the Pharisees had to offer. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 14, Paul says this, We know that the law is spiritual. I am a flesh sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I don't understand. For I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which was in my members. Paul demonstrated his approach. What was it? His approach was knowing the law of God. His approach was being committed to the law of God. His approach was believing the law of God and concurring with the law of God and committing and devoting himself to follow the law of God. And yet what he said at the beginning of the chapter was that sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, deceived him and destroyed him. And then as he fought and fought and committed and committed and worked and worked and tried and tried, all his strength seemed to be for naught. He kept finding himself right back there in sin. As we take a look at the Pharisees, we recognize that they began with good intentions. They began with the intention of being separate from all the worldliness that had come into Judaism during the time of the Greek kingdoms. And they were wanting to separate themselves from that Hellenism, that worldliness. And they wanted to get back to God's law. But as time went on, we find out that all that they wanted was based on a false understanding of how to be delivered from sin. And because of that, by the time we get to the New Testament, we see all kinds of problems with the Pharisees. We could probably spend an entire lesson looking at all the problems the Pharisees had during the days of Jesus and Paul. But I think here in Romans chapter 7, we see the root, the foundation that caused all those other problems. I don't believe Paul was a hypocritical Pharisee. I think Paul was the best the Pharisees had to offer. And yet, even he said, I can't overcome sin. What was the foundation that caused all the problems? If you read there in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 23, there are ten verses. And in those ten verses, Paul says, I, me, and my, 31 times. At least three times a verse. I am committed. I believe. I agree. I want. I don't want. There was the root problem with the Pharisees' failure. Their root problem was they trusted himself. Luke chapter 18 and verse 9, Jesus told a parable. 
And the whole basis for that parable was this problem, this root problem. In Luke chapter 18 and verse 9, He also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. What was the problem? Trusting in self. I can do it. I can bear up under this pressure. I can be committed enough. I can work hard enough. I can work strong enough. I can do this. I'll white-knuckle it. I'll pull myself up by the bootstraps. And I'll overcome sin and Satan. But it didn't work. This is, of course, the kind of rugged individualism that we Americans really like to see and hear about. I think this kind of rugged individualistic Christianity is the kind that appeals to a whole bunch of us. But Paul tried it, and it didn't work. Do we see this kind of attempt at Christianity? I think Paul, this is what he was doing before he became a Christian, but do we today see this? Even as folks claim they're walking in the Gospel and Christianity, I think we do. Whenever we respond that we think we're going to heaven because of what we've done, we're taking this approach. Whenever we're talking to others and we think the best advice we can give them is that you need to buck up and be stronger and be more committed and be more devoted, we're taking this approach. Whenever we think that the biggest help that we can give to anybody to help them lead holy lives is to dot all the I's and cross all the T's and draw all the lines for every decision they might possibly make every day of their lives, we're taking this approach. Whenever we're trusting in ourselves that I can overcome, we're taking this approach. And with this kind of mindset, whenever we have tried to help those who are in sin, our basic piece of advice is you just need to quit sinning. And I certainly recognize that there are some hypocrites that need to hear that, that you've just got to quit sinning. But you know, I think that most folks, especially here within this room, are basically just like Paul. They're just like you, and they're just like me. You don't have to tell them to quit sinning. They know they're supposed to quit sinning. They've told themselves a hundred times, I'm going to quit sinning. And they've committed to quit sinning. And they've decided to quit sinning. And they agree with the law of God. They agree with the Word of God. And yet, here I am again, sinning. I'll tell you what, if Paul couldn't make it work that way, I don't think we're going to be able to make it work that way. And when we have that mindset, it's going to cause typically one of two things. Either one, we're eventually going to decide, you know what, I guess I am not strong enough for this Christianity thing. Why keep trying? Or, we'll go to the other extreme. And we'll leave the Pharisees' failure, and we'll follow over to the Gnostic sellout. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 20, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 20, as Paul was capping off his first letter to the young evangelist, 
He said, O Timothy, first, six, first Timothy chapter 6 and verse 20, O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Grace be with you. Some who have, this, this, what is falsely called knowledge, this group, they began teaching very early the Gnostics. The basic tenet of their teaching was matter is evil. Therefore, the flesh is evil. And there's nothing we can do about that. Even after Christ has redeemed us from our sins, our flesh, because it's matter, is just sinful and evil and it's going to sin and there's nothing we can do about it. But what we need to do is know the law of God in the inner man. And the more that we know about the law of God, the more righteous we'll be. But we can't do anything about that flesh. In fact, some of them went so far as to say, you know what, it's actually even better if the flesh goes ahead and sins. Because the more we sin, the more God's grace increases. And when you have that mindset, it actually says our sins are what glorifies God. Because as we sin, He bestows His grace. And what could glorify God more than the bestowal of His grace? And so really, just don't worry about those sins. Don't think too much about them. That's why Jesus died, isn't it? And I have no doubt that some of the Gnostics would like to twist what Paul said in Romans chapter 7. But in order to do that, they'd have to completely ignore Romans chapter 6. Look in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? When we come into Christ, we die to sin. We're not to continue living in sin. We're supposed to stop sinning. Jesus died not so that we could remain in our sins, but to deliver us from our sins. Keep reading in Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? Therefore, we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For He who has died is freed from sin. Now if we've died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. Verse 10, For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Verse 15, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves as someone as slaves for obedience, you're slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. 
For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What did Paul say? Paul said, Jesus didn't die so that you could just continue in your sins. Jesus redeemed us from our sins. He bought us back from those sins. And we're not to continue living in those sins. And so we see the problem that the Gnostics had was there was an overemphasis on grace. It's all about grace. That's why Jesus died. It's all so that we could just go ahead and be redeemed, but still be trapped here in our sins. In Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Paul dealt with this issue in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 17. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17, he said, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught in Him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. He says, before you were a Christian, you lied. Now you tell the truth. He said, before you were a Christian, you, were, you sinned when you were angry. Now you don't. He said, before you were a Christian, Christian, you stole. Now you labor and you're generous to others. Before you were a Christian, you allowed unwholesome words to proceed out of your mouth. He says, now that you're a Christian, you don't. He says in verse 30, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Interestingly, one of the greatest passages in the Scripture that is used to talk about the grace of God and its work in our salvation is Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. In Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 8, the Bible says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, so it doesn't matter if you walk in evil works anymore. Is that what yours says? Mine says we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Jesus didn't die so we could continue walking in wickedness. He died so that we could walk in good works. He delivered us from sin so that we could be alive in Christ and we could present our members to righteousness to become a slave to righteousness. Do we see this mindset today? Do we see this sellout of the gospel today? Absolutely. Absolutely. Whenever we overlook our sins because we believe that God is going to overlook them, we're following this approach. Whenever we justify our actions by saying, well, I'm only human, we're following this approach. Whenever we justify our sins by saying, well, you know, that's why Jesus died. 
we're following this approach. Whenever we allow ourselves to continue sinning and think that it's just going to be okay, because that's what God's grace is for, for following this approach. And with this mindset, we don't walk in the newness of life. but rather we continue in sin. And with this mindset, serving God is no longer about serving and glorifying God. It's actually just about God letting us do whatever we want and allowing grace to be a license to sin. We have to understand this. Jesus didn't die so that we could just continue in sin by His grace. So what are we to do? From Romans chapter 7, we learn that I'm not going to overcome sin. I can't do it. I'm, I'm not going to. Now, whichever one of those terms you want to use, it doesn't matter to me. Paul said he tried and it didn't work when he tried it on his own. Yet at the same time, Romans chapter 6, from the same person, he says that I'm not allowed to just continue in sin. Jesus didn't die so that I could continue in sin. And that I'm responsible that I am responsible to present my members to righteousness. And so where is the victory? Romans chapter 8 and verse 37, I think, provides the victory for us. Romans chapter 8 and verse 37. Paul's talked about all the things that are fighting against us to get us to be conquered by Satan and by sin. And in Romans chapter 8 and verse 37, he says, But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. We overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. We need to recognize that Jesus didn't die just so we could just keep on doing whatever it is that we want to do and just keep on living however we wanted to live. He didn't die so that we can leave the battlefield. Because, of course, if we do that, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, but encourage one another day after day. Actually, back in verse 12, take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. But at the same time, Jesus hasn't left us down here on our own to just try to overcome sin all by ourselves. You remember Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20? In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. If we back up, we begin in verse 14 of Ephesians 3. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its names, 
that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Christ empowers us to overcome. Christ strengthens us. We're not on our own. You remember Paul's statement? We talked about this last week, how Paul overcame. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, Paul said, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. You know, interestingly, Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 12, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. He says on the one hand, and I know what we like to do often today as we argue those two halves against each other, but let's just take them together. What does Paul say? He says on the one hand, your job is to work out your salvation in fear and trembling. But we have the confidence to work out our salvation in fear and trembling because we know that God is working. Now, obviously, the very next question to that is, what is it that I have to do and what is it that God does? I don't know. I don't know the answer to those questions. I know some. I know some of the things that we're supposed to do, and I know some of the things that God does, and I know some of the things that God doesn't do, but you know, the reality is, I really don't know exactly what everything you're supposed to do from here on out is. And I really don't know exactly what God does. In fact, one of the things that I've had to learn recently is Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart. Yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. I can't quantify it. But I know this. We are to serve God. And the reason that I'm able to get up this morning and devote myself to serving God And the reason that I'll be able to do that on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday is because I'm convinced as you and I step out onto the battlefield against Satan and against sin and against the world and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places, we're not doing it alone. We're like David in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Let me ask you this. Did David know exactly what he was going to do on the battlefield? Apparently not. He grabbed five stones. He had some ideas. He was going to do whatever he knew he needed to do, whatever he had to do. Did David know what God was going to do? 
No, he didn't. But do you remember what he said to Saul? He said, the same God that delivered me from the paw of the lion and the bear will deliver me from this Philistine. And when Goliath came on the battlefield and laughed at him and taunted him, David said to him, you come to me with sword and with spear and with shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord whom you have defied. And this day He will deliver you into my hands and I will remove your head from your body. And when it was all said and done, did David know what God did? Does anybody here know what God did? Does anybody here believe God did something? Oh, no. Thank you, James believes that God did something. Anybody else believe God did something? Okay, good. I was about to just throw this whole thing into a tailspin. But I don't know what He did. Did He guide the stone? Did He, through providence, allow David to be trained to know how to throw that stone? I don't know. But David wasn't alone on that battlefield, and I'm not either. And when Satan comes at us with his fiery darts, the Lord will deliver us out of his hand and will deliver him into our hands. But we have to believe we're not alone. We have to realize that when the day is over and the battle has been won, it wasn't me. Because I've learned, just like Paul learned, that when I've tried to fight the battle, I failed. But God's with us. Brethren, we're going to win. Whatever sins we're facing and temptations that Satan is hurling at us, we will overcome because we're not alone. God is fighting our battles. And we need to be able to say with David in Psalm 18, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved for my enemies. I hope this lesson has been beneficial to you, edifying you, and helping you be set free from bondage to sin. Let's remember that the Pharisees' approach is a failure. The Gnostics is a sellout. Only Christ's gospel provides us the victory. Let us work to serve and honor and glorify God and have the courage to do so, recognizing that God is working with us. If you have any questions about the Bible, about sin, about God, and about His help for us, 
Whatever question you might have about spiritual matters, please feel free to call us at 615-794-2359, or you may contact us through our website, franklinchurchofchrist.com. Perhaps somebody has given you this lesson on CD or on audio tape. If that's the case, let me encourage you to go to that website, franklinchurchofchrist.com. We have numerous lessons there, both in outline and audio format. You're free to download those and use them in any way that you believe will glorify God and help others overwhelmingly conquer through Christ who loved us. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. More importantly, may you richly bless God.